there was a lot of FBS to HBCU transfers this year, but I have five in particular that you need to watch in 2023. Oh, yeah, it's locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked on HBCU podcast. Your number one daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics. Monday through Friday, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I, of course, am Darian Gray, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports editor and contributing writer at USA Today's Saints Wire. And remember, just because the mic cuts off does not mean that the journey is over. It just means it's time to follow me on Twitter. At South Exclusives starts with an S, ends with an S. Today's episode is going to start with a conversation about the five FBS to HBCU transfers you must watch in this year's football season. We will wrap up with a conversation about Grambling's collaboration with Adidas and their new shoes. So new school shoes, essentially, for everybody, not just for the team, but for everybody. And in between, we'll talk about why the SEAC believes that Fort Valley State and Benedict College will continue their momentum from last season. But right now, let's kick it off with the Big Five. Now, HBCU Game Day gave their five FBS transfers to watch. And listen, I'll stop short of calling this list perfect because there's too many players out there to call it perfect. And I know somebody's going to feel like they're snubbed and probably rightfully so. And depending on the criteria, you might go this, that, and the third, but I think it's hard to argue the inclusion of these five players on a list. This doesn't say top five. This doesn't say the best five. This is just five players you have to watch. So you have all corns, Tyler Macon, you have Jackson State, Seven McGee, North Carolina Central's Miles Campbell, North Carolina A&T's Christian, or excuse me, Kenji Christian, and then FAMU's running back. Why did I say running back for him and nobody else? But FAMU's <laughs> Jaquez Yant, Jaquez Yant. So before we get into these players, three of those guys are from the SWAC. And this isn't SWAC superiority or anything. I just think it falls in line with something we previously discussed with how the SWAC uses the transfer portal way more than the MIAC does. And in a list of five players, three of them come from the SWAC. Not overly surprising, to be honest. Um, my criteria, why do I feel like this list is so good? Because I'm not going with the best. I'm not going with who I think the, the most talented, all of those things. For me, that was show and prove itself during the season. The progression of how I like to discuss transfer portal players is you start off with who are you and what have you done? Because you have to have some sort of introduction, right? So when a player first gets to the school, it's who are you? What have you done? But I'm not talking about that two months later. Two months later, three months later, it's now what can you do for the school? And it's kind of that at the beginning, but it's kind of like it flip-flops. When it starts off, who you are, what have you done is the conversation with a sprinkle of what can you do for the school. But as time goes on, who you are, what you've done is no longer the conversation. It's just a part of the conversation. It turns into the sprinkle. And now the conversation is what can you do for your HBCU, period. 
You know, that that's exactly what it means, or that's exactly what the progression is on my side. And this is the intrigue, the curiosity, the, the unknown. And then I can't wait. The best side is what have you done at your HBCU? Now we actually have proof of concept. You've proven who you are, what you can do. So that's that's the progression of transfers for me, right? So let's get into these players. And I'll tell you why the mouth of the South personally has so much intrigue around these five guys because that's his baseline. Wow, that, that third person went on a little longer than I thought it was going to. That's my baseline of criteria. So let's start off with Tyler Macon. Tyler Macon, quarterback, Alcorn. He comes over from Missouri, and this is the largest floor-to-ceiling gap for me as far as what the role can be. Not talent floor-to-ceiling, not talent floor-to-ceiling, excuse me, but as far as role floor-to-ceiling. And the reason I say that is because there's no guarantee he'll ever see the field unless it's mop-up duty. Legitimately, he's in a quarterback battle with Aaron Allen. And I know a lot of people feel like that's just a foregone conclusion that he's going to have it. But I don't think that they have officially named a starter yet. I haven't seen that they've officially named a starter, which means the battle is still ongoing, which isn't really surprising. But let's say Aaron Allen wins. This is a quarterback position. You're not likely going to do a two-quarterback system which means that Macon won't see the field at all. But if he does win, then he is the starting quarterback. And if he's the starting quarterback, he has the weight on his shoulders of having to be the starting quarterback for a team that people expect to be a primary contender in the SWAC West and really in the SWAC in general. That's a, that's a big gap. You go from being on the bench to being a starting quarterback of a championship caliber team or a team with championship aspirations, expectations. So. That's a big gap. There's a lot of intrigue in that. I get intrigued in that strictly because he's a quarterback. And let's just go with if he wins. The intrigue of the battle is one thing, but let's go if he actually just wins. That's great, too. Then you go to Seven McGee. You got Seven McGee who comes from Oregon. He's at Jackson State. HBCU game day listed him as a running back. Oregon listed him as a wide receiver. Jackson State, when they picked him up in the portal, listed him as an athlete. This is not to say there's conflicting messages or conflicting uh, labels for him. It's the fact to say he's an athlete. Jackson State was right. If JSU, or excuse me, if HBCU Game Day wants to call him a running back, if Oregon wants to call him a wide receiver, I'm not mad at either one. But the fact is, he's likely going to be a player who it says, get the ball in his hands and let him do something with it. Regardless of where he lines up, let the ball get in his hands and let him do something with it. He's an athlete. And as an athlete, you expect him to be able to play multiple positions. That's the point. But Jackson State lost a lot of production from the wide receiver room. They lost pretty much all their all their line, or excuse me, all of their wide receivers from last year that were prominent are gone for whatever reason, whether that's the draft or transferring. Sevion Wilkerson just transferred. You're going to need to replenish the rushing, the running game, and the receiving game, and McGee can do both of that. Then you have Miles Campbell, who transfers in from Tennessee to North Carolina Central, the tight end. There was basically no tight end production for the Eagles last year. Basically none. You had two tight ends catch a pass, and they totaled less than 200 yards. One only caught one pass in week one and then did not touch the ball again until Jackson State, and he had the fake punt. Tyler Barnes, the primary tight end, had less than 200 yards. And he didn't catch a pass in the last five games. The tight end position was not a large part of what North Carolina Central did offensively. So with that being said, 
I have a lot of intrigue. If you get a former four-star tight end coming in from the SEC, what does that do to how the position is used? Forget who he is. How much do you focus on the tight end position early in the season? That'll be extremely interesting to me. That is something that I'll watch, especially with some of the comments that head coach Trey Oliver made about Davis Richard and his production going into 2023. I'll definitely be looking to see, okay, you lost your number one wide receiver. You brought in a four-star, former four-star tight end. Let's see just how much you decide to use that and make that a focal point of your offense. Then you have Kenji Christian, and these are two running backs that I'll kind of put together a little bit. We won't have as much detail about Kenji Christian and Jacquez Yant because Christian in, in North Carolina Central or North Carolina A&T, excuse me, they're going to be mad at me. I didn't mean it. But you have uh, Christian at A&T. He's coming over from, from Virginia Tech, excuse me, and he's trying to replace the running back who went to Virginia Tech, and that's Bashul Tootin. But I think it's going to be kind of a crowded back room. And I think in that backfield, you'll have Hicks, you'll have Graves, you'll have Christian. And I think it's just going to be so crowded, but it'll be interesting to see how does Christian carve out a role. Same thing with Yant. They brought in a bunch of running backs. Willie Simmons wants to run the ball. And in both of these situations, I don't think anybody's ran away with that RB1 spot. So it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a fight for who's going to get the most carries, but there's nothing but space and opportunity for people to make a name for themselves. And that goes for Christian. That goes for Yant. That goes for any of the other guys who are in that running back room. The only thing is they're not on the list, so they're not going to be discussed. But those five guys on the list, and I think they all have the opportunity, and all of that opportunity creates intrigue, especially those top three that I named. Macon, Campbell, uh, McGee. I'm going to call them seven, but McGee. Those are all extremely interesting players. And I'll give you two more names, Luber Denilis and Kelvin Durham. Those are two players that are going to be the main reason, the biggest catalyst for why the SEAC doesn't expect Fort Valley State or Benedict College to really take too much of a step back in 2023. And I'll break down exactly what that means as we continue with Locked On HBCU. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel, and FanDuel is the official sports book of the Locked On Podcast Network. You have the WNBA who's kicking back in the season after their all-star break. You have the same with the MLB. So those are two sports that you can put money down right now and get money back right now, right? Because some of these other things like the NFL, the NBA, they have futures. They have things that you have to put money down on now, but you won't get it until what? The future okay so like let's let's go ahead and go with the mlb let's go with the wnba the uh wimbledon just ended right oh man i wish i would have caught that final or more of it but you have all of these things that you can put some money down on whether you want the immediate payout or if you're willing to put your payment down and get it back on layaway essentially either way fanduel.com slash locked on is the place to go and you have the no sweat first bet meaning even if you lose the first time, you didn't really lose. It's almost like that game just didn't count. That bet just didn't count, right? Because you put money down, you lost, but they're going to give you free bets back so that you can make your money back. It's, it's lovely. I love FanDuel.com because they believe in second chances. Go to FanDuel.com slash locked on today to make every moment more.
As we continue rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day. And for my everydayers on Wednesday's episode, what you have to look forward to is North Carolina Central Head Coach Trey Oliver speaking about unlocking Davius Richard. And we look at exactly what that could mean in 2023. But right now, I want to dive into the SEAC and how they expect Fort Valley State and Benedict College to continue their momentum from last year. And on Friday's episode, I'll give a quick little recap. If you haven't checked it out, go back to it. But on Friday's episode, we talked about the SEAC preseason poll because this all comes from SEAC Media Day. And we spoke about how Benedict College was number one. They won the championship last year. So this might feel a tad bit redundant, but it's not. It's not. And I'm going to share with you a tad, you know, a little bit of advice that I got from somebody as far as radio programming goes. And then we're going to apply that logic in podcast form, but in a different way. It was basically don't be afraid to recycle topics, but attack it from a different angle. That's kind of what's happening here, because, yes, I did say that Benedict College was expected to repeat, but I want to highlight specifically the strong suit of their team and why people feel like they're going to continue to be so good. Not just they were one last year, they're going to be one next year. This is continuity. This is continuing exactly where you were. It's different than that. It's deeper than that, right? We're talking about individual players because as opposed to using the team result of preseason polls, we're going to look at the offensive and defensive player of the year in the SEAC preseason, OPOI and DPOI. That does not sound nearly as good as I thought it would would when I wrote it down. The acronym, it looks good written, does not sound good said. So let that be a note for everybody who wants to say OPOI and DPOI. Depoy, Opoy? No. <laughs> anyway, Fort Valley State is expected to have the offensive player of the year, and Benedict Collis is expected to have the defensive player of the year exactly how it happened last year. Exactly how it happened last year. That was that was the end result. This is the predicted end result. Now, here comes the shift as far as Fort Valley, Fort Valley State goes. It's not going to be Emmanuel Wilson. He's in the NFL now. He's doing his thing in training camp. Good luck to him. It's Kelvin Durham, who, you know, if you want to say that Wilson was the heartbeat of the team, that's cool. I can rock with that. But it's not like Durham was a, was a slouch at all. Now, I will say this. Offensive player of the year is kind of more of a team award than defensive player of the year. Because no matter how good you are at your position, no matter how good that your stats look at your position, if your offense isn't flourishing, because sometimes those stats can, those stats can feel like empty calories. Those stats can feel like they don't really apply to whatever we're talking about at the time, right? Strong offenses, successful teams. If we're talking about that, it's like, okay, you got a bunch of yards, but your team, if it ain't in shootouts or if your team isn't winning, we're not going to give you offensive player of the year because your stats weren't impactful enough. I feel like with defense, we can kind of separate. Oh, you got a bunch of sacks, but your defense wasn't elite. Okay, but you got a bunch of sacks, so we can we can rock with that. I don't feel like that's the case with offense. I've seen leaders in yards not get offensive player of the year all the time, right? But you look at Kelvin Durham, who beyond just team success, he had individual success last year himself. He was a redshirt freshman who came in and won freshman of the year newcomer of the year and first team all SEAC quarterback so the continuity the the consistency the rollover that's not just team and oh 
they're expecting him to get a bigger role. No, they're saying that Kelvin Durham will be exactly who he is and who he was. It just isn't Emmanuel Wilson right here to get an offensive player of the year instead of him. That's it. That's exactly what's, what they're saying here. So Fort Valley State is expected to have another elite offensive season, and Kelvin Durham is expected to be the best quarterback in the conference for yet another season in his redshirt sophomore year. Now you look at BC. BC, they got the exact same player, Luber Dentalis. That's exactly who's coming over. They said you were the defensive player of the year last year. You're still here. You're going to be the defensive player of the year next year. <laughs> I think it's a pretty simple way to understand why they feel that way. And listen, I know I said that it's more of a team award for OPO. I did it again. Well, it's a team award for Offensive Player of the Year. But most times when your Defensive Player of the Year is as impactful enough to get the award, the defense as, it's, as a whole is going to be pretty good too. So you look at Dennis, 20 sacks, or excuse me, 20 tackles for a loss, 13 sacks. That was good for fourth most sacks per game in the country. Sixth most tackles for a loss per game in the country. You have four fumble recoveries by him, second most in the country. And I like showing this off because these are impactful stats. Tackles can be anything. Tackles can be 30 yards down the field, or they can be a one-yard stop. It's hard to contextualize tackles if you haven't actually watched the tackle happen. But I can tell you this, a tackle for a loss is a tackle for a loss. It is a negative play for the offense. A sack is a negative play for an offense. A fumble recovery is a negative play for an offense. I can tell you for a fact that all three of these numbers, all three of these statistical categories are impactful. We can get into how they happen, but they happen and they are impactful. Then you look at BC, because like I told you, a great defensive player, this time leads to a great defense. So you're looking at a team that was fifth in the country in total total defense and scoring defense. And notice that none of these numbers I said were in the conference. Fourth most sacks per game in the country. Sixth most tackles for a loss per game in the country. Fourth, or excuse me, second most fumble recoveries in the country. Fifth in total defense and scoring defense in the country. We're not talking about SEAC rankings. We're talking about national NCAA D2 rankings. That's what we're discussing. This is a dominant force, and there's no reason to believe he won't be a dominant force for yet another season. Now, this season, if you're looking at Grambling's basketball team, you might see them with some new shoes. But don't worry. They're not the only ones who can cop them. You can, too. Well, let's break down Grambling's new collaboration with Adidas as we wrap up today's episode of Locked on HBCU. We wrap up today's episode of Locked on HBCU, and I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day, making it all the way to segment three. And I thank you two times for that. Thank you so much. Now, Grambling has a great partnership with Adidas when it comes to their new shoe collaboration. I think that this is a phenomenal partnership in my mind. So this weekend, a new collab drop dropped to the public between Grambling, Adidas, and Donovan Mitchell, right? Those three entities all came together to form a new shoe. And those the shoe actually was debuted at All-Star Weekend, which was months ago, but he debuted it at All-Star Weekend. 
But this is a fantastic partnership, and I think it puts them in rare air. If I can't think of any other school outside of FAMU that has a, an actual partnership, right? Like FAMU, if I'm not mistaken, this recent partnership with the new LeBrons that came out in like June, that's the first time that FAMU's had an official collab when it comes to shoes, if I'm not mistaken. I think that they've had a bunch of unofficial shoes. I feel like FAMU's adopted a bunch of shoes that were orange and green and were like, those are our shoes. But now they have their own baby, right? Now it's actually official. That's what I think is the case. Could be wrong. Could be wrong. But I think that is the case. But now Grambling has their own shoes, not just a shoe that's black and gold. They have their own shoe. And I love it. I love it because Donovan Mitchell is a popular player. He's a visible player. He's an exciting player. He's the type of player you want to be connected with. Adidas and Donovan Mitchell came together and they made the, I want to get this exactly right because what's the name of this shoe? I don't have my shoe on me. It's the exclusive colorway four, the D-O-N exclusive colorway four. I didn't get that exactly right, but that's it, right? I can't flash the shoe up here because, you know, copyright and whatnot. But you can go look at what he wore at the All-Star game. You can just go look at the shoe on Adidas if you just want to be honest. But if you want to see it on somebody, you can look at what he wore at the All-Star game. But I love this partnership because it's going to expand the visibility of Grambling. Grambling is already a large brand. Grambling is one of the schools that I believe has a national branding. We talked about this before. But I believe that Grambling has a strong national brand. So with that being said, now you're just amplifying it by having a popular basketball player who will probably wear these sneakers occasionally. Not all the time, but he might wear it one or two times, might wear it at an all-star game, you know, might do things like that. I'll be honest with you. I didn't like these shoes at first. I didn't like these shoes at first, but they quickly grew on me because they're running shoes. They're athletic shoes. They're not every day I'm just going to wear these shoes just because I want to have some black shoes. No. They're athletic shoes. So that means if I'm if I'm working out, if I'm hooping, would I wear these? Yeah, I would. I would wear these and they're nice. They're 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 cool for that. You know what I mean? They're cool for that. And that might seem like a backhanded compliment, but it's really not. Um, because most basketball shoes, most athletic shoes, I'm not wearing on a consistent basis. I'm just not. You know, especially not ones that have multiple colors. Like if I'm wearing them, I got some all white running shoes, right? I wear them occasionally when I'm wearing basketball shorts and things like that. And that's usually out of just pure laziness, but they're all white with like a black swoosh. They go with pretty much everything. Like, like I can just throw them on. I don't really have to even think about it for real. You know, so it's, it's a different thing. This is black gold, right? It looks nice though. Right. And you have grambling on the tongue. You have the coordinates of where they are. I'm assuming that's the coordinates of where they are. That'd be weird if it wasn't. Imagine it was the headquarters of Adidas and everybody just thought it was Grambling. But no, they have the coordinates of Grambling State University. They have Grambling on the tongue. On the back, they say Tigers. And of course, it's the colorway of Grambling. So it looks good. If you're a if you're a fan of the team, if you're one of the people who really like school paraphernalia, go ahead and get it. These are $200, right? You just got to go to the Adidas website. I'm a fan of them. I'll put it like that. I am a personal fan of these shoes. I wouldn't spend $200 on them because I'm not spending $200 on those shoes anyway. But overall, if I was a Grambling fan and like just a super Grambling fanatic, 
these are probably some of the best shoes that I could add to my school wardrobe repertoire. Actually says the school, says the mascot. It's not just our color pattern. It's our shoe. So go to Adidas and go ahead and cop these if you like them, if you think I described it, if you think I sold them well. And if you think I sold them well, send Adidas an email and be like, listen, they got this guy at the mouth of the South. He got the Locked on HBCU podcast. He does ad reads all the time. And he low-key just gave y'all some free promotion by describing why this shoe is so great and it made me want to get it. And then send them my, my Twitter or maybe DM me on Twitter and I can send you my email for it. But don't be weird. <laughs> Anyway, 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 now I am being weird. Now I am being weird. Let's go ahead and wrap up today's show because on tomorrow or on Wednesday's episode, we'll be talking about Trey Oliver's comments about Davius Richard. And if I don't close out today, I'll never get to Wednesday. And I can't wait for that episode. And you should be anticipating it as well. So I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day. Until the next time that we hear each other, family, take care. Stay blessed. Peace.